Histories of the Beat Generation tend to be constructed around a handful of pivotal encounters and incidents. The first meeting between Kerouac and Ginsberg at Columbia in 1944, and the establishment of a small community, also including William Burroughs, Lucien Carr, Hal Chase, Eddie Parker, and Joan Vollmer, the killing of David Camera by Carr, the introduction of Neil Cassidy to this group, and the intense effect that he had on Kerouac and Ginsberg, the shooting of Volmer by Burroughs in Mexico in 1951, and Burroughs's subsequent confession, I am forced to the appalling conclusion that I would have never become a writer but for Joan's death. The death of Joan brought me into contact with the invader, the ugly spirit, and manoeuvred me into a lifelong struggle in which I had no choice except to write my way out. The night at the Sixth Gallery in San Francisco in October 1955, when Ginsberg performed Howl for the first time, and Gary Snyder, Michael McClure, Philip Lamantia, and Philip Wallen also read Kerouac and Cassidy's Road Trips Across America and the Decline and Early Death of Kerouac. While there is no doubt that each of these incidents is of immense importance in the shaping of the Beat Generation, and I will discuss many of them in detail later in this book, there are also dangers in focusing on them too narrowly and forgetting the wider context within which they occurred. The America of the mid-1940s was a place of rapid political and cultural transition. The depression of the 1930s, which had shaped the childhoods of most of the Beat Generation, had been superseded by American involvement in the Second World War and by the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in August 1945 events that, among other things, had a profound effect on the counterculture of the following years. Domestically, the post-war era was marked by rapid improvement in economic conditions, by the emergence of what President Dwight D. Eisenhower would later, in his 1961 farewell address, label the military-industrial complex, by the birth of the baby boomer generation, that would invent an entirely new form of youth culture in the following two decades, and by the readoption of a culture of consumption, echoing both the 1890s and the 1920s, that encouraged the rapid standardization of family life and celebrated the belief that the nation was entering a golden age in which science would offer increased leisure and luxury for all. Within the general mood of economic confidence, there are several points that stand out. First, it is important to stress the links between the technological and ideological components of cultural change. With post-war prosperity, many Americans were able to take advantage of relatively new inventions, such as the automobile, television and refrigerator, and to move to large suburban homes where they pursued lifestyles unimaginable during the Depression. While some sociologists perceived threats to the sense of social cohesion or community in these large-scale relocations, the fact that viewing options were limited to a few channels, whose output was largely determined by the need to satisfy corporate advertisers, meant that viewer choice was strictly limited. Even if adults were no longer going out to the movies in anything like pre-war numbers, large numbers of Americans were watching the same shows and discussing them at work or school or home the next day, contributing to a sense of social cohesion and, 
more sinisterly, enabling the state corporate system to maintain a form of soft supervision of its citizens. The era in which the Beat Generation came to artistic maturity was, of course, the height of the Cold War, and the need to promise material success to loyal American citizens was integral to government efforts to demonstrate the nation's superiority to the Soviet Union, both to its own citizens and to the rest of the world. While there were many Americans who were excluded from the model of suburban affluence, most notably a high proportion of African Americans, what sociologist C. Wright Mills labeled the power elite in the United States were remarkably adept in controlling the version of the nation that was represented in movies and television programs. The counter to the economic rewards for loyalty to American Cold War ideology...